Amen. Amen. First Timothy chapter three this morning. We're starting a four week series in the middle of this great book, First Timothy. And we're starting at the end of chapter three, beginning at verse 14. First Timothy chapter three, verse 14. Some of you may wonder, why are we doing a four week series in the middle of First Timothy? For this reason, I really believe that God is preparing us as a church for the next season that he has us to go through as a church family. And uh, part of that is, I think, going back to the basics, reminding all of us of what this church is all about, what our values are, why we as the Oasis do what we do. And certainly I could get up each week and I could read our mission statement, which, by the way, is in the on the information table back there that any of you can read any week if you want to. But it's always good to go back and remind ourselves, especially after three and a half years into this journey as a church, of who who is the Oasis? What are we about? What's our values? What's our priorities? What are we drawing from to be the church that we believe God wants us to be? And probably out of any passage in the Word of God, this passage in 1 Timothy, the end of chapter 3, then on into chapter 4, really lays out for us, in my mind, why we are the church that we are, why we strive to do the things that we do. And we're going to just take little chunks at a time. That's why you probably noticed a little bit of a difference today. During the month of August, instead of doing three songs and then one at the end, we're going to be doing four songs and none at the end. We're going to be having some stuff at the end, but it's a little bit different than what you're used to. But uh, I just wanted to concentrate on this and take it small chunks at a time. Unlike uh, our study through Titus that was chapters at a time, these are just going to be verses at a time because we're really going to dive in depth to these verses. So I'd like you to follow along with me. As I read verses 14 through 16 of 1 Timothy chapter 3. Paul's writing to this young pastor named Timothy and he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these instructions to you in case I am delayed to let you know how people ought to conduct themselves in the household of God. Because it is the church of the living God, the support and bulwark of the truth. And we all agree our religion contains amazing revelation. He was revealed in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among Gentiles, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. There's three things here in this passage that Paul really wants Timothy to grasp, to grip him, so that in turn he can teach his church, so that the church will reflect these values. Here they are. The first is, Christians must come to a proper, if you will, appreciation for and love for the church. Second, Christians must have a proper estimation of and love for God's word. And third, Christians must have a proper estimation of and love for Jesus Christ. First, I want to go back to verse 14. Christians must have a proper estimation of and love For the church. Notice Paul is saying, you as the pastor, you have to teach your people how to conduct themselves. Because we can't assume that when people become part of the church, that somehow they know what the church is to be about. And I believe that to be true more than ever. 
that 2,000 years after this was written, that many people today who call themselves Christians and want to be part of a local church, a local expression of God, really have little understanding of what the church is all about because it's gotten really foggy over the years. And because many churches today do not follow, in a sense, the biblical priorities laid down by God, they may be doing church, but it may not be doing it the way God says my church should be done. Because let's remember, this institution, this this family that we're a part of, this is not made up by humans. This was not thought up by human beings. This was designed by God himself. Jesus even said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So this is God's idea. And God says, since I came up with this, this is how I believe the church should be. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to teach people how to conduct themselves in the house of God. Christians have, I believe, lost a proper estimation of and love for the church. That's why you don't find a lot of Christians that really involved in church. They don't believe church is important. They don't believe being connected to a church and being faithful to church is really that big of a priority. And yet when you study the Word of God and you read the Word of God, you cannot come up with anything other than the church is really important to God. And therefore, if a Christian says, you know what, it's really not that important that I get connected to a church and become part of a church and serve in a church, what we're really saying to God is, God, I don't really care what you think. I'm, I'm going to do what I want to do. And even though the church is really important to you, it's not important to me. See, from God's perspective, first of all, notice this, that God says that my church is the household of God. This word is an interesting word. It has a couple of different really key meanings here that I think bring out what God expects. First of all, it means to dwell, to settle in the midst, to be a fixed resident. God says, I want my people to be led to a church. And I want them to understand that then they are to be a settled, dwelling, fixed resident in that church family. Unlike today where people sort of adopt the smorgasbord church way of doing things. I go to that church because I like that. And I go to this church because I like that. And I don't really ever settle down and become a fixed resident of a household, you see. And part of the reason is because we live in such an individualistic, narcissistic society that that mindset has crept into even how people view the church. And if you were to even ask Christians, why do you think the church is important? What would most Christians say? And why do they even choose the churches or pray to God to lead them to the churches that they do? Well, if you talk to a lot of Christians, it all has to do with the programs that they have, that the reason I go to that church is because it meets this particular need. And it's all about the individual. It's all about me. It's not about being led to a body of believers by God and becoming part of that 
household and settling there and abiding there and becoming a fixed resident of that household. The other meaning of the word household means family. And that means that God expects that when we become part of his church, especially in the local expression of a local church, that we understand that we are to be part of a family. These are my brothers and sisters in Christ. Therefore, I am to have a relationship with them. I am to get connected to them. I'm not to just sit back and be a spectator, but an active participant. And I am to to become part of the family. And I'm just as much a part of the family as anybody else is. That's the way God wants his people to look at it. That's why we do what we do here. That's why we want to relate to each other the way we do. That's why we want this just to be a family where people go, that's my family. I may have a physical family. I may have a blood and flesh family, but I also have a spiritual family. And I look at my brothers and sisters in Christ the way God expects me to. Because notice, too, the word ought in verse 15. If I am delayed to let you know how people ought, the word means a necessity established by God. God says, I'm the one that's building this church, and this is a necessity from my point of view. That Christians who become part of the church need to be taught that they become part of the family. And when I lead them to a church family, they are to become a fixed resident. They are to settle there. They are to abide there. They are to do life together as a family. You see. Secondly, God says... My church is to be the church of the living God. We are the in the flesh embodiment and expression of God to the world. That's why I used the word incarnation to describe Christians the other week. Because the word incarnation just means in flesh. And even though, again, we use that term primarily for Jesus Christ, the God-man who became human and took upon human flesh, we're going to talk about that in just a minute, that we as God's people also are to be in the flesh the expression and embodiment of the living God to all around us. And the word ecclesia, the word for church in the New Testament, means a called out group of people. To be called out by God from our private residences and to gather together in a public place. That's what God expects. Because he does not want his people to just worship him and be isolated from each other. He wants us to come together and to worship with one mouth and one voice and glorify him and grow together and encourage each other. And so he calls us out and says, I want you to come out in public and declare your love and faith for me. That's why Jesus says many times, don't deny me. Don't deny me. Be willing to let your light shine because you are the church of the living God. And the word living means active and powerful. In other words, the church is to be evident that God is active. He's powerful in our lives and in the church's life. And we can feel him and sense him moving in our lives and working. That's what the church is to be about. We are to see God active and powerful in our midst. We are to sense that he is here, that he is with us. And not all churches 
can say that. Because just because a group of people get together under the guise of a church doesn't mean that God is active and powerful and that he's even there. Even in the Old Testament, God said, I'm not in the temple anymore. I'm leaving because my people, they've left me. They're not doing things the way I said it should be done. And so remember, his glory departed and left. Even though the great, beautiful temple existed, it was there physically. The living God was not there any longer. And I don't care how you know great a building or big a building or any kind of building we meet in. We could meet in a barn. If the living God is there, that's church. Because it's not a matter of the building. It's a matter of, is God there? Is he present? Can I sense his presence? Is he actively, powerfully working in us and amongst us? That's what the church is to be. And then, another reason why Christians must have a proper estimation of and love for the church is because God says, you are the support and bulwark of the truth. The word support means a firm foundation which upholds or sustains the force or authority of something. So don't miss what God is saying. He's saying that the church is to be a place that that upholds or sustains the force and authority of my truth. That if anywhere you should get truth, and it shouldn't be watered down. It, it shouldn't be softened in any way. There should be a force with it. There should be an authority and a gravity with it. It should be in the church. In the church, we should be able to hear, Thus saith the Lord. You see. And then the bulwark. A bulwark was something that they used in military campaign, campaigns. In fact, in the Civil War, many bulwarks were made. It is simply a wall that fortifies, protects, and defends. And that's exactly what God said the church should be. It should be a place that fortifies my truth, protects my truth, defends my truth. That's what the church should be. And when Christians begin to have a proper estimation of and love for the church, where Christians truly love being a part of the church, and we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, and where we truly are connected to each other, and we value each other, and we are precious to each other, and we cherish each other, and the relationships that God has brought us into, look out. We need to renew our love for the church. We need to have that attitude. I was glad when they said unto me, let's go into the house of the Lord. When the psalmist says, I'd rather spend one day in your courts, Lord, than a thousand anywhere else. He longed to that, come to the house of God, to meet with God corporately, with God's people. Do you have that kind of desire? I got to tell you, as much as I hated us being away from each other for three Tuesdays, there was one thing that being away from each other for three Tuesdays did. Man, 
Tuesday was just unbelievable. It was just like everybody couldn't wait to get back to being together on Tuesday night. And we just had an awesome time Tuesday. And what a great group of people. And I have a feeling that the pizza wasn't the only reason why. I really believe it was more than the pizza. I sensed a genuine, we missed being with each other and seeing each other on Tuesday. God said, we got to get back to this. This is back to the basics, folks. This is what we're to be about. That everything we do, we are to be a family. We are to be the embodiment and expression of the living God. We are to be the bulwark and support of his truth. Because you see, the Bible teaches that defending the truth of God in the last days before Jesus returns isn't between those inside the church and those outside the church, that actually the battle for truth is taking place within the church itself. Read the book of Jude, the book right before Revelation. So Christians must have a proper estimation of and love for the church. Second, Christians must have a proper estimation of and love for God's word. Verse 16. And we all agree, at least Paul's thinking, you know what? If you call yourself a Christian, you say you're a follower of God, then this should be a unifying conviction of all Christians that our religion contains amazing revelation. And he's simply lifting up the word of God and saying, do we as a church, really elevate and hold the word of God up like we should, because this is how we should do it. This is a necessity established by God. One of the reasons why? Because the Bible is inspired and given to us by God. Peter writes, and scripture was not born by human impulse. But men carried along by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Every scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for all good works. The word of God is where we find truth. Jesus said, set them apart in truth. Your word is truth. He went on to say, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's the pathway to God. The Bible says, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The word is our guide through life. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Jesus said, men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The Bible says of itself, the word of God is living and powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, and is even a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. 
God said, I magnify my word above my own name. Jesus even said, if you reject my words and you do not believe what I'm telling you, you have a judge. The words that I speak, they will judge you on the last day. God warns men and women of tampering with his word. The book of Revelation says, if you take away from this book, God will take away your share in the tree of life and the city that is described in this book. If you add anything to this book, God will add the plagues that are described in this book to you. That's what God thinks of his word. That's why Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And that's why, my friends, from the very beginning, Satan has attacked the word of God. You see, Satan hates the word of God. And Satan will do everything in his power to separate you from God's word. Think back with me all the way to the very beginning in the garden. When as the subtle serpent, he's speaking with Eve. What's the first things that he says to Eve? Has God really said? Really? Did did God really say that? And he begins to attack and twist the word of God. No wonder the Bible says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Open yourself up to the word of God. Fall in love with it. Esteem it as we should because Our religion contains amazing revelation. One of the reasons it's amazing is because it connects us with the most important person in history, Jesus Christ himself. Jesus says, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. And these are the scriptures which testify of me. By the way, The word amazing here in verse 16 means weighty, of great importance, a priority. In other words, it's where I got the concept that Christians must have a proper estimation of and love for God's word. Because that's exactly what Paul's sharing with Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, the people of the church of the living God. They need, when they hear God's word, that needs to carry weight. That needs to be of great importance more than anything else. That needs to be a priority to them. And again, that's why we do what we do here. That's why we teach verse by verse the word of God. That's why from our children's ministry, all the way through our youth ministry, all the way through all of our adult ministries, and on Sunday and Tuesday, we center everything around the Word of God. It is front and center of all we do, because this is what God said is a must of His people. To have a proper estimation of and love for the church, and to have a proper estimation of and love for His Word. And finally, speaking of that Word, 
that connects us to the most important person in history, Jesus Christ. He says in verse 16 that Christians must have a proper estimation of and love of Christ. Thank you, dear. Appreciate that. Notice probably in your Bible that these words about Jesus or are offset from the rest of the passage. There's a very good reason for that. These words were an early Christian creed. In fact, they were probably a hymn or a chorus that was sung by early Christians so that they could remind themselves of basically the gospel. Of key facts, key truths about their Savior, Jesus Christ. And notice what it says about Jesus. He was revealed in the flesh. That implies also that Jesus didn't begin in Bethlehem. Revealed means that he's already existed, but in the flesh, in human bodily form, he was revealed. He was made known. He was made manifest. He was made visible in the flesh. And even though there are other religions down through history that have said God's appeared at times in human form, Christianity is so unique. It is the only faith of any kind that has ever taught that God himself permanently took upon himself human flesh. That he became a man. He he didn't just appear and then went back. He appeared and revealed himself as a human being. And we know that Jesus Christ is going to have that body, even though it's now glorified, for all of eternity. And even unlike us, this body is going to carry the scars that Jesus had on the cross throughout eternity as a reminder of our redemption and the cost and price of our salvation. God became a man. Second, he was vindicated by the Spirit. The word vindicated means seen for who he really is. That was true when Jesus was alive on earth, and that's still true today. The only way someone can really see who Jesus is is by opening themselves up to the Spirit of God's work in their life. You see, in Jesus' day, there were many who saw the miracles that Jesus did. They were there. They saw him with their own eyeballs. But to them, he was still just a human being. He was not God of very God. He was not the Son of God. He was not the Messiah. It was only when they opened themselves up to the work of the Spirit in their hearts that they came to believe and trust in Him as the Messiah, as the eternal Son of God. And that's still true today. Apart from the work of the Spirit, no one can come to know Jesus in a personal way. Third, He was seen by angels. Well, we know that, but the word seen is an interesting word. It means to behold, literally to stare at. In other words, it's the idea that, you've got to remember, these angels... Ever since they were created, they saw Jesus in such a glorified state in heaven. And now this Jesus that they have worshipped and adored unceasingly since they were created, all of a sudden became human. They were just like dumbfounded, like, 
what that our god is is in that body no wonder there were angels that attended him at his birth at his death all through his ministry i'm sure that they were and are still fascinated that the second person of the trinity that they knew before he ever left glory came in human flesh fourth he was proclaimed among gentiles the word gentiles just means those who are unfamiliar or unacquainted with god publicly proclaimed believed on in the world because that's the only way one comes to know this jesus for god so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life if we confess with our mouth the lord jesus and believe in our heart that god raised him from the dead we will be saved for with the heart man believes unto righteousness, for with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, and whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Have you truly believed in this Jesus? And then finally, he was taken up in glory. He was raised to the highest level of the universe, exalted to the most preeminent place. Sorry, I got to put this down. I'm getting excited now. (laughs) If I truly have a proper estimation of and love for Jesus, for this Jesus, the one that's revealed to me in the Bible, there's a couple huge applications of that. First of all, if I truly believe he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, that he's the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, then is there anything that this Jesus would ask of me that I would refuse? If I have that, if if I believe that he is the Jesus who's been taken up into glory, given the highest, most exalted position in the universe, that one day I truly believe that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord, then is there anything that he will move me to do, ask me to do, that I would refuse if I have that view of him? Or when I refuse to give in and want to do my own thing and live my own way, is it because I've lost who he really is? Somehow do I think that somehow he can just be dismissed and blown off because I forgot who Jesus really is? And I've sort of lost my love for him, for what he's done for me? And secondly, is there anything that you and I as human beings will ever face or go through that if we have this proper estimation of and love for Jesus, that we won't think that somehow me being in him and connected to him and him living through me with the Holy Spirit, that there's nothing that can hold me back, nothing that can overtake me, nothing that can defeat me if I truly believe he is who the Bible says he is. Isn't that why? Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
Isn't that why he says to the Romans that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us? Is there really anything that can challenge us, that can keep its grip on us, if we truly believe that Jesus Christ is who the Bible says he is? And so, Christians must come back to the basics. And part of that starts with reclaiming and renewing a proper estimation of and love for Jesus. For who he is, for what he's done, and for who he is to me now. And I truly rely on him every day for the strength and the wisdom and the power and the grace and everything that I need because I am complete in him, the Bible says. And if I have Jesus Christ, then I have the one and only thing that I truly need in life. He's been taken up into glory and I am one of his children. And there's nothing. That Satan, the world, my own flesh, anyone else, anything else can throw at me. That can defeat Jesus and me when we are together. So here today. Maybe you've never truly believed in Jesus. I would like to invite you today, if you're hearing God's voice, do not harden your heart. Open up your heart and life to Jesus Christ. He loves you. He assumed human flesh to reveal that love to you by going to a cross and taking our place. And taking the penalty that should have been ours as sinners before a holy God. And taking that on himself. In that place, he not only took that on, but he gave us in turn, if we believe in him, his righteousness. For he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And now in Christ, we have everything. And all the Bible says you have to do is just believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is. You don't have to work. You just have to believe. If you're here today and you say, well, I know Jesus. I know his word. I know about the church, but I needed this because I needed to renew my love for his church. I needed to renew my love for his word. I needed to renew my love for Jesus Christ today. Then tell him that. Express that to him today. And begin to allow God to work through you to express that to others around you as well. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, this is what it's all about. This is bringing Christians who are part of the church of the living God back to the basics. And this is why ever since we started the Oasis Church, We strive to do what we do. 
because we believe that this is a necessity established by God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for laying out so clearly the things, Lord, which you hold dear, the things which are to be a priority in our lives as followers of you. And Lord, maybe this day, there's someone here who for the very first time in their life says, Lord, I believe. I believe you were revealed in the flesh. I believe you were vindicated by the Spirit. I believe you were seen of angels. I believe you were proclaimed on amongst Gentiles. I believe that you were believed on in the world, that you truly changed and transformed lives. And I believe you were taken up into glory and that you are at the right hand of the Father right now, just waiting to come and receive your church back to yourself. I believe. Lord, if there's someone here today who is expressing that belief and trust and faith in you for the very first time, Lord, seal that decision in their heart today. Make it real to them. Let them have this day as a a marker in their life for all of eternity. And then, Lord, may they desire to grow To realize that salvation is not the end. It's just the beginning of a wonderful, abundant life. Learning about what it really means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. For others here today, God. Help us to renew our love and estimation of your church. Being part of the church hasn't been as important as it should be in my life. And I need to make being part of your church a proper priority. Second, I'm renewing my love for your word. Help me, Lord, to choose to spend time in your word, to study it, to read it, to meditate on it, to saturate my mind in it every day. Help me, Lord, to fall more and more in love with Jesus every day. The God who left the glories of heaven to reveal his love for me. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Dana, come on up. We have one more of our gals from our church that wants to just share a few words of encouragement to the gals here today about this upcoming women's Bible study, and then I'm going to come out and just share a few things with you, and we'll close in prayer. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, Well, it is my turn to extend an invitation to all the gals uh, here and friends uh, and acquaintances that you come in contact with, that you join us for our Generation to Generation Bible study starting on September 5th. It will be every Thursday evening, so we would love to have everybody join us. Uh, It's my privilege to work with Marsha and Lisa and all the gals that are on the team pulling this together, and we're just excited for what God has in store. Um, It's 